Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Set the Captives Free Ministries, providing Christ-centered solutions for the bewildered believer. Since 2013, I've been serving in this evangelism ministry in various parts of the country, not only in preaching the gospel in my day-to-day life, but also leading small teams in various evangelistic endeavors. Uh, During this time, I've felt called to record teachings for the sake of instruction to the Christians who want to learn how to share their faith, and encouragement to Christians who already are sharing their faith. Now, one of the distinct privileges I've had in this ministry is all the different people I've I get to meet along the way. I mean, really, it's it's mostly like a sing like a solo a solo act of you know I'm just kind of doing this on my own. But from time to time, a brother or a sister in Christ will will come come along, and we meet. We serve together for a season, and you know, then we depart. But today, I'd like to introduce to you someone who has been consistently serving with me for two years now in, in various events and uh, even some open-air preaching. And I've even had the joy of watching him share the gospel with uh, political candidates. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to introduce to you today's guest on my podcast, Jim Harold. Jim, welcome. Hey Willie, how you doing today? Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to to be doing this today. How about how about you doing? How, how about yeah, how about you? Me too. <laughs> me too. I'm excited, and thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a great thing. Um, you you are you are the first guest on on this official podcast. I've I've been able to to interview people in the past, but but not really quite in this capacity. So it's it's really really a cool thing, and uh, I pray I pray that this kind of uh, starts a chain reaction, uh, not only for for people contacting you wanting to interview you, but also for other people wanting to be on this podcast as well. Because I really love community. I love yeah. having a, a, a like a, an effort, not just between one or two people, but just many people. Because we're all we're all in this together, no matter what. Yeah, we are. Now, we are, and it, it all works according to the sovereignty of God. Absolutely, Amen. Now, for those of you who have not had the have not been able to meet Jim yet, uh, Jim has an exceptional talent for dealing with atheists in an online forum. Um, you know, just just uh, the other week, I I had a a bit of a a scrimmage going on between between me and and some atheists on a YouTube comment section with one of my videos, and and I gave Jim a call. I'm like, hey Jim, you know, there's a bunch of atheists who are giving me a hard time, and I'm kind of getting outnumbered here. Uh, you know, why don't you why don't you have a little fun? You know, they're your they're yours, Jim. Sick them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I jumped in, and it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I mean, you were you were taking you were taking those guys to school. You know, giving them giving them uh, giving them what's for. And that you know, and and you were doing it in such a beautiful Christ-like manner, you know. I I don't want to. I I used to have the catchphrase, you know, taking these fools to school, but I don't I don't like saying that anymore, you know. So, well, but yeah, you know, sometimes they come off uh, the atheists come off extremely arrogant, and you know, sometimes when you when the time is appropriate, I'll be arrogant right back at them, um, but. For the most part, I think we're supposed to uh, answer the fool, uh, but, you know, we're destroying worldviews. And I think we need, like, like 1 Peter 3.15 says, 
we're supposed to do this with meekness. And so, yeah, I think that there's a time for arrogance, but I think that for the most time, um, if we answer them in uh, in friendship as loving your neighbor, I think we could probably build some good bridges and develop some good relationships. Absolutely, amen. That's that's such a such a good thing to hear, um, because you know a lot of times, a lot of times evangelists will just kind of leave it off at you know just kind of being contentious, you know, as though they enjoy the confrontation. But when I see you, you know, you. You're always, you know, hey, you know, I really like the way you answer that. You resemble your creator. I like that line. It's it's a very yeah, it's a, thank it's, you. <laughs> it's a very it's like um, it, it's disarming because I, I I I can't even I can't even imagine the body language of of what of what these guys are seeing like how they how they react when they see somebody when they see you write that about them. You know, but it, it's just kind of yeah, it's just kind of funny because it's just it's this it's a it's a clever. And it's a it's a a gentle way, and 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 I like I like clever and gentle, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I try to I always try to do things in a nonconformist manner. Um, but this is this is not just a catchphrase with me. Uh, atheists say that they don't have enough evidence to believe in God, but Scripture says in uh, in Romans in Romans chapter one verses eighteen through twenty two takes away all excuses that atheists have. God has given them enough information in Scripture and in the created things so that they know who he is, who his character is. They are without excuse. But professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. They know the truth, but they deny, they, they actively suppress the truth in unrighteousness and i see this all the time it's not a catchphrase with me they stand on the lap of god and slap him in the face i've heard that before and it's an accurate description of an atheist he will assume that tomorrow and today and the next day will be the same he has no reason to expect that it's just an axiom and if you look up the word of axiom in Google, Google's definition says it's just that it's something that assumed is true. It's just accepted. They have no reason to believe that. As a Christian, I have a reason to believe that uh, it's called induction. I have the reason to believe that gravity is going to be the same tomorrow as today. I'm going to be able to assume that the Earth is going to travel around the same uh, the same pathway around the sun as yesterday because of the character of God and because he made it so. The atheists, they say, ah, you know what happened before and we can see it doing today and we'll, you know, we'll just accept it's going to happen tomorrow. They have no reason to believe that. Hmm. And so when they assume induction... When they assume the laws of logic, when they assume absolute truth, when they ask for evidence, they stand on God's creation and they deny him. The atheist in their worldview has no expectation of logic. They have no expectation of objectivity because in their worldview of nothing but matter, time, and change, 
they have no expectation of logic being the same throughout time and uh, and position in 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 the in the creation they have no expectation for objective truth i mean <laughs> i was talking with this one atheist he said because he was logical or no i'm sorry rational that made me laugh rational he said that he could not make absolute truth statements because he could be wrong and so I asked him, well, can you be wrong about that statement? <laughs> Could he be wrong about being wrong? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, it, it, it's such a trap that, that um, they, they, fall in, that they, they fall into, they, they put themselves into uh, by demanding, they demand absolute truth from us, and then if we, if we reciprocate that, they suddenly become relativists. Right, that, yeah. That's, that's been my experience so of that. Um, now, now one thing, one thing uh, you, you mentioned, like the laws of logic, that they just kind of expect to happen. I, I, I did notice one of the atheists, at least on the uh, the little kerfuffle on the YouTube comment section, he was just kind of assuming that the laws of of the universe were created at the same time as the Big Bang. Now, right. Now, how how I don't remember exactly how you responded to that in particular, or even if you responded. Um, did you respond to the, like that particular point, or did you just kind of keep moving? Well, I, I can't remember what I did in that exact circumstance. Fair enough. Uh, but what I can tell you is that logic is an immaterial thing. It's an immaterial law of God. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is logic is not material. Okay. Yeah, you, you can't, can't pick up give logic. Me a, right. You can't give me a pound of, of logic. You can't say what color it is. I mean, you know, it's, it's an immaterial thing. It is not subject to the sentience of man. Let me say this. I mean, uh, prior to man gaining consciousness, is it possible for the Milky Way to both exist? and not exist at the same time in the same way. That's a law of logic. It's called the law of non-contradiction. Does the law of non-contradiction apply prior to man gaining consciousness? It's always been there. (laughs) Obviously, it does. So laws of logic are not subject to sentience of man. They are not subject to the passing of time. Now, they're also, this is something which is also interesting. Laws of logic are also not subject to the laws of physics. Specifically and interestingly, they are not subject to the second law of thermodynamics or entropy. Entropy basically means that all things fall apart. The complex goes to the simple. Heat uh, goes from heat or a physical energy goes to heat and then heat dissipates. Information gets corrupted, the cars rust, uh, the refrigerators, they run, they break down, and that's just entropy. Well, either the refrigerators run and break down, or we catch them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Better be in good shape for that. So, laws of logic are... uh, Imagine, imagine if a law of... If logic was subject to entropy, 
could we expect logic to be the same today as tomorrow? Can we expect logic a hundred years ago to be the same it is today? If it was subject to the laws of physics and the laws of entropy, no, it would be changing all the time. That would be scary. This is the reason why logic, yeah, I know. That's the reason why logic is an immaterial thing. It, 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 it exists in the same realm as God himself, immaterial, not subject to the material laws. So that's, that's how I kind of uh, maintain the, uh, the immaterial. Uh, you could say that make the same argument for, uh, uh, for uh, morality. Mm -hmm. You can make the same argument for mathematics. You can make the same argument for physics. And you can make the same argument for chemical laws and na and natural laws. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is that's all very very fascinating stuff. I mean, you know, um, I can't remember who it was who said it, um, but there there's the scripture of of being transformed in the renewal of your mind. I think it was yep. uh, Romans twelve. I think Romans twelve two. Uh, don't 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 cite me on that, <laughs> but some place uh, around there. Yeah, but it, it you know being transformed. In do the you do renewal. not be conformed. Yeah, do not be conformed to the thinking or the pattern of thinking of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. Now, uh, I think it was it was Doctor R. C. Sproul who said who pointed out how. You know, as a Christian, we need to remember that, that there's the renewal of your mind, not the removal of your mind. Yeah. You know, so there, there, um, because you know, sadly, you know, not only is it is it um like a weapon that the atheist world uses against Christianity, but also Christians feel like they have to be less intellectual. I mean, you know, usually an argument that atheists use, you know, oh, you have to be, you know, you have to be dumb or something you know i have to you have to stop thinking for yourself and you know i mean do you do you believe that as a christian you have to stop thinking for yourself or you're not allowed to question anything i mean how how do you feel about that uh well first off god is objectively true all right so the rules of of, his, of belief in him are set aside from personal opinion Right, that's the first thing. Okay. So what you have to believe in is the truth, because God is true. And I forgot the uh, rest of your question. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Ask well, basically, it again because it's a really good one. Well, basically, um, you know, do you do you feel like Christians have to be less intellectual? Um, you know, and like that—that that was like the first part, and also. Uh, the, the other part of the question was, do you feel like qu Christians are not, like they shouldn't be allowed to question anything about their own faith? Well, first off, you don't have to be smart. I just proved it. You don't have to be smart uh, to do this. But do you put your brain on, uh, on, the, on the shelf? Is Christian faith an irrational faith? Absolutely not. God... The, God is a uh, the way he works his character is displayed in creation both in the material and the immaterial world and 
the scientific method actually came from Christians. Uh, there's four of them. Um, and right now I can't place their, their names right on my, uh, uh, on the tip of my tongue. They're right there. But, um, but these guys began a systematic way of discovering God's creation as a means to worship him. And that takes incredible mental effort. Right. You know, these guys had nothing. And they, they came up with this. They, I guess, quote, unquote, discovered the uh, the scientific method. They didn't invent it. They discovered it because it was already right. existing. Right. Like you said, uh, the, the laws of, of logic God. and, yeah, the laws of, of God. Yeah. Sure. I mean, let's take a look at creation itself. God says he created the uh, the, the everything that there is in six days. Mm-hmm. Okay. The atheists say that nothing exploded, causing hydrogen to begin accelerating away from itself. Somehow, this hydrogen begins coalescing, uh, breaking Boyle's gas laws and laws of physics to gather together to create stars, to create this uh, uh, nuclear fission engine that. Uh, made the elements, uh, the the rest of the elements in the periodic table. Um, but the problem is that's, uh, that uh, iron is a star killer. Right. So I don't know how you make things beyond uh, beyond iron in a, in a stellar furnace. But besides that, uh, nu- uh, uh, supernova explosions scattered all this stuff all over the creation but somehow it all coalesced, created an accretion cloud. Don't ask me how. It's not explained. This accretion cloud uh, starts making pebbles. Pebbles become small rocks. Rock, small rocks become large rocks. We can see that happening. But these large rocks somehow overcome inertia and Newton's law of every action. There must be a reaction. And they become small planetesimals, which is like large asteroids. Large asteroids become bigger asteroids. And then bigger asteroids become planets, which then are molten and hot, which then have to cool, which then rain, uh, which uh, then the rain begins uh, falling on the rocks and the rocks become this soup, primordial soup. Soup becomes alive, becomes a fish, becomes you and me. That is the story. Now, if you notice that uh, there were some things in there that I um, I asked about, or I, I pointed out that were against the laws of physics, and there's no answer from them about how it happened. That is irrational faith. The Christian looks at creation, looks at Genesis, looks at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God in the beginning, God created. In our lifetime, we know that everything that exists had a beginning. You look at a toaster. You know the toaster has a design. Mm-hmm. That's simple, right? You know that it didn't. Uh, that a uh, an explosion in the plastics factory didn't create this toaster, and they reverse engineered it so that they could market it. No rational person would ever think about that. But an irrationally thinking atheist will look at primordial soup 
and they will say, wow, this primordial soup became the information contained in DNA. That's irrational thinking. That's irrational faith. The Christian knows that if something exists, it had a creator. Uh, An explosion of nothing is not a sufficient cause to create laws of logic, laws of physics, Mm -hmm. mathematics, and so on. There's not a sufficient cause, but God is a sufficient cause for everything. But now it doesn't that, it, it doesn't mean that it's it, just that's a that's rigorous thinking. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you can just say because God you know, it's not like a Sunday school answer, you know, where you just go, um, God did it? You know. There's there's definitely well, actually Well I mean you I know, think you can say that, but there's intellectual reasons. I mean right. because of induction, we can say that. Because God made it that way. That's not an intellectually lazy answer. I mean, if you were to ask a scientist why granite has zircon radiant halos, they say, well, we don't know about how that happens yet. But science someday will figure that out. They, the atheists claim us being intellectual, intellectually lazy by claiming... We uh, we use the God of the gaps answer for things that we don't know or things that they can't explain. They actually use science of the gaps explanation for things that they can't say. We don't know how that happened yet materialistically, but someday we will find out. That's the science of the gaps explanation. That's the re- rescue mechanism for things they can't understand. Yeah, I've, I've definitely I've, I've I've heard it used as a you know being called a rescue device before, and you know it's is it fair to say that that both Christians and non Christians alike have their own rescue devices, even though even though the Christian worldview is rational, it is intelligent, and it is coherent. Do you believe that there that there are such things as Christian rescue devices? Yes. Uh, but the but the question is, is the rescue device objectively true? That's the question. Is the atheist rescue device objectively true? I think that's that's a big difference. Okay. It's yeah, usually usually the atheist rescue device that I have encountered. It doesn't mean that it's the atheist. Dev- rescue device for everybody just my own personal experience it's two words shut up (laughs) yeah you know like i said like i said i'm not speaking on behalf of all atheists i'm only speaking in my experience with them uh so you know maybe maybe there are atheists out there who will use uh something other than that and then they won't literally use those two words necessarily but they will they will do whatever's necessary to get the last word and stop the conversation and um yeah but what i like about what i like about your your demeanor and your your approach to them is that that you you do continue the conversation and i, I, I think that's great the, i will i will post i will i'll do anything with an atheist as long as they 
are posting. I had an, uh, I had five weeks. I kept talking almost daily with this one atheist that my family still prays for at dinner time. My kids do. And uh, I kept them up with the saga of, uh, of what was going on. Now, for five weeks, I was talking evidence. I guess at that time, you know, I, I jumped into the fray, but I wasn't a presuppositionalist at that time. I was an evidentiarist, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I just coined a word. Um, I thought that if you gave the right evidence, an atheist would change his position. He would have to admit the uh, uh, God. But I was contrary to what the Bible said. I was, I was contrary of what the Bible told me, is that the atheist have enough evidence already. They already know that God exists, and but they suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness. It's not about evidence. It's about sin and hating God. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so for five weeks, I was I was talking evidence with the guy, and I brought him uh, I brought him to the uh, topic of uh, of the uh, zircon radio halos in granite, and he says, "Well, you know, I could search the internet and find some sort of scientist that has a, a materialist explanation for that." You know, that, there it is. That's that's the science of the gaps rescue mechanism. Okay. And he was right, though. He was right. He could fa probably find somebody that has some sort of explanation. They could probably find somebody who can explain how DNA survives 65 million years in a fossilized bone. And still they remains can find soft somebody. tissue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that's ridiculous. But they do have – I'm sure they've got some sort of – Scientist that's looking into that right now to have an explanation. But in Rather the meantime, than saying, wow, maybe my premise of sixty-five million years is wrong. In the meantime, they just fire the scientist who discovered it. You know that. You know, until we can come yeah. up with a rational that's... answer on our own worldview, we are going to fire you for for questioning this and finding evidence to, to yeah. force us to question our worldview. Yeah, they did. They they gave her a hard time. Uh, she couldn't publish papers for quite a while. Yeah, that, that's such a shame because you know science uh, is supposed to be an open forum. Science is supposed to be uh, you're supposed to be able to ask questions. You're supposed to be able to seriously ask questions, even things that are considered axiomatic. You know, even considered right. things to be law. I mean, if people want to scientifically do the research because they believe that the world is flat, okay, do it scientifically. I will not. I will not ostracize you from the scientific community. I mean, you know, I may, I may tease you about it, but I'm not going to ostracize you from from the scientific community if you're being scientific about it. That's always been my my stance on the matter, and, and that, for me personally, that's actually what uh, changed my mind about about creationism because I was very much, even though I was a Christian for many years, I was still very much an evolutionist. Um, mm -hmm. But I was actually I was reading a book on presuppositional apologetics. I was called "The Ultimate Proof of Creation," excellent book by Dr. Jason Lyle, and you know he was yeah. using using everything that you're talking about, um, you know, to 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 make me question like, okay, why do I believe this? And 
you know, I started I started looking into it and, and researching it on my own. I I realized that I had refused to re- do the research up until I started reading this book, and it's like, wow, you know, I I started I started thinking about it, and all I had to do was ask myself, why do I believe this? And I just thought for a minute, mm-hmm. well, because I was taught in school. Well, do they do they teach do they teach intelligent design in schools? No. Well, how would it be if they did? Right. You know, like, um, and it was enough to really completely change my mind on the matter. And um, yeah, so I mean, you know, I I encourage people if you're going to be if you're going to disagree on a, on, a, on a matter of science, let's be scientific about it. And even if you look in the definition of scientific method, it limits the the areas of investigation because it looks specifically for materialistic answers. Mm-hmm. It excludes it, it excludes the material, even though it assumes logic, objective truth, um, evidence, the laws of physics. It accepts all of that as axioms. They have no reason to. They just accept it as an axiom because they accept it as truth. There's no reason why they believe it. But they use all that stuff to look for exclusively materialistic answers mm-hmm. for uh, for things. And it's so ridiculous. I don't. I. I stupid. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. Non, it's non-rational. That's true. I mean, you know, because if if the answer if if you're questioned about it you can tell if if a if if a worldview is is rational or at least if if the reason you hold the worldview is rational based on how you respond as to why you believe it you know because if the if the response is because it's true and that's all they say well is that really is that really a rational response you know just sure. why do you believe it well because it's true <laughs> All right. Now, listen, that's not in in and of itself. That's not a bad answer, because Christians say the same thing. We can say that. All right. And the reason why let let me explain the reason why that is a valid answer for Christians. Because there are only two way, two pathways to knowledge. The first one is through personal experience. All right. The pot is hot. It's been sitting on the stove and the burner's on and the pot is hot. You can experience that hotness by touching it. Oh, personal experience. That's hot. It's unpleasant. Don't touch it. Or you can listen to your mother who tells you, don't touch that. It's hot. Now, you can believe her or you can touch the pot. In either case, the information that you have there is uh, is correct. Now, for the atheist, well, anybody has to be careful about who they receive information from. The reason being is that the people that you gain information from has to be true. I mean, the information they give you has to be objectively true. Otherwise, it's garbage. There's right. no sense to accepting what they say. The pathway to knowledge in that instance works like this. How do we know A is true? A is true because of B. How do we know B is true? We know B is true because of C, and so on and so on, until you get to some axiom because we believe it because it's true. Now, Christians 
because God is truth and knows all things, we have a pathway to absolute knowledge. We can say something is true because it's true. Because God, again, God who knows all things, gives us knowledge through revelation. Kind of like mom tells you because she loves you. Well, God tells us because he loves us too. And because he loves us and because of his character of truth, we can believe him. So A is true because God says so. And that's it. That, that's the end of the story. That's how we can know okay. certain things for sure. Now, I've, I've had atheists deny that pathway to absolute knowledge. And, what, and I thought that was kind of silly because this same guy said that he couldn't make statements of absolute truth. Now, does that make sense? Yeah, he made the absolute he statement that he can't make absolute statements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ah! I laughed at that. <laughs> but even in his statement saying, I can't have that pathway because he's he can't be certain of his claim. He gives me a pathway to absolute knowledge hmm. because he could be wrong. The atheist worldview is nonsensical. They stand on the lap of God and slap him in the face and say, you don't exist. That's what scripture says, and that's what they do. Now, do I blame them for this? Am I angry at them for this? No. They are victims. Boy, you know, the reason why I, why I tangle with, with atheists is because I love them. I, they're my neighbor. If I really believed that hell is real, and that those Christians whose names are not written in the, in the Lamb's, or those people that are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will go to hell. How much do I have to hate them not to, not to warn them? How much do you have to hate your neighbors not to warn your neighbors of the coming judgment? So because Jesus commands me to love my neighbor, I love my atheist friends, and I warn them every chance I can that God is real, judgment is real, and it's coming for them. That's such a beautiful thing. Let's take thing. a look at. Let's uh, take a, a look here. What is what is uh, two Peter uh, chapter three say? Oh, uh, first Peter, first Peter three fifteen. No. Well, you, that's a good one. That, that's, that's a commission for, for us to... Oh, okay. Yeah, let's, take, let's take a look at Second Peter 3, verse 3 through 7. Okay. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This is the atheist view of uniformitarianism where the today what you view today is the key to the past all right induction they have no reason to believe that for this they wi are willingly ignorant of that by the word of god the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water that means that god uh, called the earth to rise up out of the water and become dry land 
whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. The flood, the judgment of the flood, they deny that. But heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So 2 Peter 3, 5 and 7 says that men are ungodly, they walk at their own lust, and they actively deny creation, the flood, and the coming judgment. This is the position of the atheist. They sit on the lap of God and slap him in the face. Can you imagine the judgment that awaits them, actively suppressing the knowledge of the God that they know? I don't want this for them. It horrifies. It horrifies me every day. Yeah, it does me too. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of them will, in in my experience, uh, will will say like, you know, well, he's going to forgive me because of this horrible thing that you people did. You know, how, how do you usually respond to that? Like, cause they'll, they'll throw something out like, like, uh, the crusades or the Spanish inquisition or, you know, any of the, the social media nonsense about, you know, bathroom laws or, you know, or, uh, same sex marriage and things like that. Uh, how do you respond if they, if they, if they say that like, you're the reason why they they don't want to believe in God. Um, so, to what moral standard are you referring there, Willie? What do you mean? You're you're comparing you're comparing activity A to activity B, and you're saying one is better than the other. So, what what standard are you measuring? Are you measuring? The standard that Jesus set that is that we should love our neighbor? Or is there another subjective moral standard that you're using? Are, are you asking me to clarify the question, or is that your actual response? I'm sorry. I, I, That's my response. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, mean, I feel, so I feel kind of silly, because, because that response, it completely confounded me. I didn't know how to go further with that. So, yes, that is a beautiful response, because even... <laughs> Oh man! Okay. So they're saying they're they're claiming I am being immoral. Okay, so what moral standard should I be acting according? I mean, they if they claim morality is subject, then I my answer is why are you judging me according to your subjective morals? Yeah, flipping, don't I have the, on them. the yeah. same? Don't I have the same right to... How about God? Doesn't he have the right to his own subjective moral standard? Why are you saying God can't, but you can? Isn't that making you the objective moral standard? So the whole claim about objective moral standards is garbage to begin with. That's a that's a really, really interesting response. I mean, it was... It, <laughs> I mean, it was... It was a fascinating enough response where I actually thought you were, you know, using that to, to clarify my question. That, that was really good. I like that. Um, usually, usually how I respond with it is just, you know, the very, the very straightforward, you know, hardcore, like ignorance is no excuse. You know, uh, you can't, you can't say right. you're ignorant. First of all, ignorance is no, is no excuse for breaking the law. And second of all, because I'm talking to you about this right now, you can't say you're ignorant. And, um, and third, thirdly, we cannot be held responsible for things that other people 
professing the same faith that we have have done in the past. That's something I, I sure. I, you remember the remember the atheist that uh, uh, gave us the no true Scotsman fallacy. Oh yeah, that that guy that that whole thing that whole thing really set me off. I I, <laughs> I finally asked him. I said, "Look, I said uh, people this, uh, is that people in the name of Jesus during the Spanish Inquisition they kidnapped people, tortured people, stole everything that they had, and killed them." They did that in the name of Jesus. Now, did Jesus tell people to do that? Of course I not. asked him, I said, well, if I, if I say I'm a follower of you, the atheist, and I won't name him that, and I'm not going to give him his name, says, but if, if I follow you, say, uh, atheist A, okay? If I say I, I'm a claim you, I claim to be a follower of atheist A, and I go out and murder 10 people, and you've never suggested anybody to murder anybody. If you defend yourself, are you are you then causing a true Scotsman fallacy? Because you never told anybody to do it, but yet I do it. Even though you, I got a little crazy there with my words, but I hope you can follow that. That yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good way to put it. You know, because yeah, if if I if I claim to be um, a follower. Well, if I could, just maybe if I can. Don't you try to do that over again? Maybe if I can reiterate, um, just to clarify, if I claim to be a follower of um, the flying spaghetti monster, it's just first thing that came to my mind, and and there is nothing, there's nothing in the in any of the sayings, the alleged sayings of the flying spaghetti monster, that would allow us to justify murdering fifty people, uh, you know. But if I claim to be a, a pastafarian. And then all of a sudden, I go around murdering people. Uh, would people associate Pastafarianism with murder? But well, no, you couldn't because there's no alleged writings from the Flying Spaghetti Monster saying you you can murder people. Right. Yeah. yeah that's that's a better way to put it. Okay, uh, well, for so, instance, so we can we can we can <laughs> see in today's today's culture in in Europe and all over the world. That that Muslims murder people in the name of Muhammad. We can look at the historical record of Muhammad and see that yeah, he did rape and pillage his way across the Middle East, to Northern Africa, and Europe. Yeah, that that's a behavior that's supported by him. The Quran teaches the same behavior. So we know that you know that's yeah, well done. We know that. Uh, <laughs> Getting too wordy again. I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> it's okay. You you weren't rambling. You were you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you have had a, you have had a wealth of information to share with us today. That it's this has been really great. Um, but uh, but there there and there's still plenty more to talk about. Um, so you you and I have both mentioned presuppositional apologetics. Um, mm-hmm. so one thing that I've learned about the presuppositional uh, argument is the preconditions of intelligibility. So would you like to would you like to to elaborate a little bit on that? Well, that's something that actually I'm not all that um up on really. I mean, I I think that I've I use that all uh, you know, I use that without knowing it. Uh, but to be able to talk intelligently about it, 
Yeah, I don't think I'm really prepared to do that. Fair enough. Okay, well, um, but basically the, the preconditions of intelligibility is just the, the question of how do I know I know? And, uh, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so there, there's just the, the basic the basic thing of, um, you know, can I trust my senses? You know, can I trust that what I'm seeing and hearing, smelling, feeling, and tasting is actually what I'm sensing? Um, you know, can I trust my memory? Can I trust that A plus B is going to always equal C no matter what? You know, is can I trust that the process plus condition is going to equal a result? And if either the process or the condition changed, you get a different result. And that's that's what you call uniformity. Yeah, different. this whole talk has been about that. Yeah, because uniformity is different than uniformitarianism. Because uniformitarianism is what I see right now has always been this way. You know, for instance, the the fossil like the soil layers uh, are are building at a very slow pace, so it must have been a very for a very very long time. However, that's only under the current conditions. Now, if there was say a worldwide flood the soil layers would be developing rather rapidly. So therefore, condition is different. The process is the same, So, but you're going to end up with a different result because the condition was different. So that's uniformity, and that's one thing that they do forget about, but that's something upon which the scientific method is based because you can't test things if, it, if you can't trust that it's going to be uniform. You can't. Right. You certainly can't repeat anything if you can't even test it in the first place. You know, because you need the control and the variable, and um, you know, you need to be able to determine like what process is going to produce this result, what condition is going to produce this result, and what combination of process and condition is going to produce the desired result. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, that's really basically the precondition, the preconditions of intelligibility. So. Yes, I mean you're right. That that is exactly what we've been we've been talking about. You know, just how do we know we know? <laughs> and um, and I just proved you don't have to be really smart to do this. Again, God yeah. uses the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. Because I, I am a, definitely because I was able to ask you a question. Because <laughs> I, I was able yeah, just to, to 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 elaborate. I was able to ask you a question that you didn't feel like you were prepared on. But then as I explain the question, you're able to say, yes, this is actually everything that I've been talking about this whole time. So yes, you were prepared. You were more prepared than you, than you gave yourself credit for. Um, but I think it's, a, it's an incredible example of what you were saying, that you, know, you don't have to have a PhD to be able to wrestle with the, uh, the intellectual world. I don't have a PhD. I love them and the willingness to, to get in the fray. That's how I started. Yeah. Yeah, because you, and you, not only do you have that, that talent of dealing with with uh, the online forums, but you also, you know, because you, because we've had that chance to serve together in person, you also have like, a, you also have a good presence, like, like a personal presence where, you know, you, like you know, even you have like the good body language, and you have the good tone of voice, and um, and all of those things, because those things are extremely important, also. And uh, yeah, yeah, very very talented, and um, and I'm excited. Oh, I'm, thank you. I'm excited to have you as a part of this team. Uh, you know, as uh, as you and I have talked about this, and you know, this is 
you know, kind of an introduction to the rest of the world of, of you being uh, officially a member of Set the Captives Free Ministries. And it's it's really been it's been so great the past two years that we've been serving together in uh, in various capacities. And what I also love is that I can I can trust your input on things. I can ask you a question, you're going to give me input, and that's really great. Uh, you know, it's a it's a mark of a faithful man. Well, thank you very much for those kind things. So, but but a few things just to just to kind of to get to know you a little better for the sake for the sake of the listeners. Um, in your in your evangelistic life, I mean, about how long do you think you've been uh, been sharing your faith regularly? Oh golly, um, I have. Uh, you know, when I became born again, I had no idea. That was about thirty thirty five years ago. I don't know the date uh, because when it, God took me by surprise, I had no idea what happened to me. Uh, I have been wanting to share what happened to me for a long time. My salvation made no sense to me until I came across uh, Ray Comfort and the Way of the Master. Um, I got saved because I I measured myself against the Ten Commandments and realized that I, uh, I actually did deserve hell. And that was the mercy of God that he he displayed that to me and gave me that revelation of knowledge that was absolutely true. Uh, and then I repented. He asked me, did I want my future changed? And I said, yes. And he definitely did. And I'm very grateful. Amen. Ooh. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, I get what... I get emotional when I talk about that because I really don't deserve what he did for me. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing what the Lord has I done mean, in your life. It really is. Um, you know, and I, I know, I know that you are so genuine about it. Uh, you know, and that that's such a that's such a great thing. Um, but in your years of of sharing your, sharing the gospel with the world, what has been your greatest joy in that? Okay, my greatest joy in that, I think, is uh, I've been doing this for like maybe three years, maybe. I really don't know because I don't take a, you know, I don't have a journal and I can't go back and look at dates and times and experiences. My greatest triumph, I think, one of the greatest encouragements was that um, I was at a gas station. It's a store. It's, it's a, you know, it's a brand of gas station and convenience store. And there was these two guys sitting on bicycles and I had my kids. They were eating ice cream and the Lord was poking at me to talk to these guys about salvation. And I didn't want to because I sensed evil amongst them. Uh, and I didn't want to, but I obeyed anyway. And so I, I talked with these guys, I engaged with them, and, uh, and I brought them to the law, uh, and I exposed their sin. They didn't want to repent, and so they went away, and I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because my family was there. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if those guys were going to get violent or whatever. But the evil that I sensed there was real. Hmm. Now, spin a, a year into the future, and I see these – I'm in the supermarket doing my shopping, and I see these two guys standing talking about Jesus. Well, I like talking about Jesus, so – 
I insert myself into the conversation. And one of those guys, I didn't recognize them at all. He says, do I know you? I said, well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I live around town. You've probably seen me. He says, no, 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 no. He says, aren't you the guy that talked to me about Jesus and Stuart? It took a long time for him to, to pop my memory. So I actually remembered because I didn't recognize him. He was in his right mind. He was clean, um, and uh, he was talking about Jesus. There was no evil about him. Wow. And he said, God used you in bringing me to Christ. And he talked to us about his, uh, two weeks later, uh, he met a friend of his that he hadn't seen in, in years and years, and he'd become a Christian. He saw God's blessing upon him, and he contrasted his life and the life of his friend and God used that to break him down, and he lived in repentance, and he was living a repentance lifestyle since then. Wow. I had no idea about that. All I knew is that I obeyed God, and God took that guy on the journey that brought him to salvation. I don't save anybody. All I am is a, is a crier on the wall. Repent. Make... Uh, 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 escape the coming judgment. That's all I do. I'm not responsible for the results of what I do. But like Ezekiel uh, chapter 33, I am a crier on the wall, and my responsibility is to warn people. Amen. And so that was my greatest victory. I mean, uh, you know, wow, that's cool. I mean, yeah. what I did made a difference. A soul now is in... Uh, Another name that was written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of what I did. Yeah, and what was so great about it was the fact that you didn't even really need all of these amazing arguments that you've you've spent all this time preparing. You know, I mean, like it, it's like you know, I, I I I'm always I always get really excited to hear stories like these, and because it's so simple. Yeah, because you don't you don't need to have all these extraordinary preparations just to talk to people. Because you know, Jesus said, you know, I mean, like you know, we were, we were commanded to be ready in season and out of season. So ready sure. or ready or not, here comes a non-believer. Share the gospel, you know. Boom, get ready. <laughs> um, and that's James' store. I ran across this one woman. She started talking to me. Great, and I gave her a million dollar track. That's my favorite track. I love it. Uh, always gets people laughing, and it opens up a way for me to have a spiritual conversation. <clears throat> so I talked to her. I said, look, I don't want to be morbid, but 10 out of 10 people die. And she says, wow, I never really thought about that. She says, what do you think happens after somebody dies? She says, well, you know, I, I haven't given much thought to that. And I said, well, the Bible says that, uh, that it's appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment. And then I, I asked her, do you consider yourself to be a good person? She says, yes. And I went through the Ten Commandments. It was an amazing thing to see her realization that before the holy God of creation, she was not a per good person. And I, I asked her, I said, well, does that concern you? I said, yeah. I said, well, I got good news for you. God, who loves you, made a way for you to be reconciled to him. All of your, uh, all of your sin, all of your selfishness, all, the evil, all of your evil deeds, all of that, the punishment for that was laid out upon Jesus on the cross. 
And Jesus willingly took that because he loves you. And not only that, but he resurrected from the dead to show that he has total victory over sin. And that can be you too, if you repent. And you tell God that, you know, hey, I'm not a good person. I need saving. And she said, wow, I guess that means that I can't do the stuff that I used to do. She brought up the topic of repentance, not me. Right. Wow. Yeah. Praise God for yeah. that. Another praise name, God for a changed uh, mind. Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah. Well, Jim, is there anything I else? I never leave that. Just a Go ahead. Uh, kinda, we're we're uh, kind of getting close on time here. Uh is there anything that you would like to say to the church as a whole? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I have a message for the church. Examine yourselves. Make sure you are in the fold. In Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus says that in the church there are good fish and bad fish. There's wheat. There's tares. There's goats. They're sheep, all right? And our job is not to look and to judge who is who, but to examine yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 is real. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, the sad thing about that is that these people who were at the judgment knew who Jesus was, knew that he was their Savior. They identified him, but he did not identify them as brothers, but as workers of iniquity. They were tares. They were goats. They were the bad fish, and they were surprised at the day of judgment. They were not going to enter into the pleasure of God, but the torment, because of they were being judged, not for their good works, but for the ways that they broke the moral law. Look, you don't come back from an error like that. I just had two, uh, two Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door, and I asked them, well, which Jesus are you talking about? They said, well, the Jesus of the Bible. I said, well, you know, the Bible cautions us in John in John, uh, Galatians that there's different Jesuses and different Gospels and that those who preach a different Gospel will be accursed. But so what Jesus are you preaching? I said, the Mormons have their own Jesus, who is a created being, whose Father God has is living on this separate world, having sex with mother gods and creating spirit babies. Is that the Jesus that you're talking about? No, they said. Is this the Jesus, a created being? Um, or is Jesus God, eternal God, from the beginning, who created all things? And I said, no. And I said, well... Look, you know, you got to be careful because there is the objective Jesus in the Bible, and then there's man's different opinions about it. The second commandment is do not worship an idol. Yep. And so because of the revelation of God, we can be 100% certain. Back to, again to the intelligibility thing. We can be 100% certain that the God that we worship is Jesus. But 
Are you worshiping a God that you're comfortable with? Have you created a Jesus that's all benevolent, who's just going to wash over sin, who's not going to judge you, who's all kind of lovey-dovey, who came to earth to give you a pleasant life? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible allowed himself to be murdered to reconcile you with God. And he says, if you are reconciled with God and if you follow Jesus, the world is going to hate you. He says you will have trials and tribulations and persecutions. Is this the Jesus that you follow? Or is it the Jesus who follows that if you have an emotional hurt or hang up, he can help you with that? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, there are benefits of following the true Jesus. But I think it's not good to use those benefits as a hook to draw in sinners because right. then they start worshiping. I don't know how many uh, atheists got their start from a, uh, from a false Jesus. That you is, know, the genie in the sky type of thing. That's that all, definitely, you know, they, it's definitely something we can talk about in a future episode. We can do that, yes. Yeah. So, Jim... Um, if you would like to uh, close us in prayer, and I will give a little bit of uh, some, some ways to contact you, uh, that would be great. Yep. Holy Father, thank you for giving us certainty and certain wisdom, certain knowledge. Thank you for, your, for who you are, for your character of truth, your character of logic, your character of love and self-sacrifice. I pray that your sheep who hear your voice, that we will mimic you in our lives, of being true, of not telling lies, of loving our neighbors and sacrificing ourselves for the good of our neighbors. I pray that you use us to call your sheep unto yourself, that they will hear your voice and that they will repent and uh, in, that they will repent from evil, change their mind about the evil that they used to do and that they will rejoice in you. I pray that the seeds that we lay with our atheist friends would gain fruit, even though, let us not do weary or become weary in doing good, but do that in faith, trusting you for the hardest, for your glory and the glory of your son. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all so very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, these are all downloadable for free via iTunes. Just look up Set the Captives Free Ministries. And if you would like a CD copy of any of these messages, feel free to contact me at wneedham at scfministry.com and we'll send one to you for a donation of any amount. So if you wish to contact Jim Harold, uh, you can reach him through the Set the Captives Free Ministry website, www.scfministry.com ministry.com or you can email him directly at I've got questions dot jb at gmail.com you can give us a call at 1-855-507-0379. You can reach anybody in the, the Set the Captives Free Ministry team through that number. Or you can write to us or send a donation by mail at Set the Captives Free Ministries, 
P.O. Box 467, Modena, New York, 12548. Once again, our website is www.scfministries.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and God bless.